Hey gang, it's Travis. Usually on Tuesdays, we're talking about lots of fun stuff to have to do with the outdoors or maybe things that don't have to do with the outdoors at all. We try to call that show our foyer show, our entry show, the show for folks that maybe aren't super heavy outdoorsmen or, or aren't really into the things we love or kind of interested or want to dangle their feet in the water a little bit. We really focus our Tuesday shows on that. But this week, we're going to be talking about something we call a kitchen environment, or a more deeper show, a deeper conversation. And it's something that's been making the rounds on social media a lot this week. That has several columns about the R3 movement. Is the R3 movement dead? Do we even need the R3 movement anymore? And we felt like, given the tenor of the conversation, going around the internet, we needed to take a beat, go ahead and address it. So we hope you'll hang with us through this episode. We'll be back to our normal shenanigans next Tuesday. And this Thursday, we'll have a conversations episode as scheduled. Uh, this week will be turkey biologist Dr. Michael Chamberlain and Dr. Brett Collier. So with that, we are going to get to it as Dan Daniels and Nate Henderson join me on this episode. What's new, Travis? Dan Daniels is back in the house. Mm. Uh, I w- do you in the wish building. People, do you wish people could see Dan Daniels' hair right now? Because it is <laughs> yeah, it's He's got some like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of, it's almost like, um, style it's almost like you have it styled that way i'm gonna be honest with you the three of us right now make a probably the the handsomest podcasting trio in america i'm not gonna lie without a, without a doubt yeah, yeah. Dan, i mean there's there's no one here to dispute it so we're gonna yeah I, absolutely dan how are you buddy doing well man it's uh, a lot of what's news for me because it's been oh little while since we've been all together or doing something like this so exciting, yeah I think, you, I think your last episode with us was rha based we always bring dan in for the serious ones i and know when can i come for fun you can come for fun but you have to come earlier in the day and i'll tell you why i'll tell you exactly what happened here we invited emily to be a part of this discussion because as, a, as i've already teed up kind of in the intro um this is gonna be a little little heavier than we usually go I invited Emily, but we're recording at 8.30. So um, that's actually exclusionary to Emily, period, because that is, she's been asleep for 30 minutes at this point. Like, she's been, <laughs> she's, she's dead to the world. So, um, yeah, we need to get you in one for one of the phones, but we got to give you a little more notice than, than you know, 15 minutes. I appreciate it. I'm going to kind of give you my quick what what's news to yeah, get let's at hear it. Well, it's just basically a rehash of what you guys have been dealing with, with a little extra something, but uh, boat problems, right? Getting the boats ready for spring. So boat's not here right now, um, getting worked on. And I looked at it and that didn't happen. But, you know, the, the weather goes from winter to summer with no, like, buffer. So it's like <laughs> went to boat weather. I went out of town for spring break with the kids, came back. And they're like, let's go out on the boat. I was like, uh, okay, let me try to crank it over. And it's like nothing. So here we are with boat problems. Another Joy, one is joys um, of boat ownership. Joys of boat ownership. Um, travel issues. So Nate gave us his, you know, just a costing of Gainesville the last uh, <laughs> go round. Dude, that was a, that was explosive. What happened to Nate in Gainesville? But uh, as he was. You know, I'm listening to the podcast in my car this week as I was driving to work. I'm just like head nodding, like profusely. Like if you could see my head, you know, I'm like, I I feel you. I feel you. And I'm going to tell you, Nate, it was from Mobile all the way around I-10 down 75. 
every place we got off traveling back was mobbed. It was like they were giving gas away for free. It was right. like they were giving Chick-fil-A away for free. I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was shocked. So, yep. you know, you. It, it's, I, I hear you, man. It was ridiculous. And, um, uh, I uh, almost called you while the podcast was going on just to vent <laughs> with you. But uh, hey. I don't think it was unique to the uh, corridor solely that you decided to, uh, you know, uh, hammer down on, you know. So um, and lastly, I, this is just something because uh, I don't know what we'll get to today as a keeper release, but I'm just going to pile it on right on the what's new. I'm shopping for some Western gear to just kind of like pre-plan for spring turkey and going into my fall hunts. I've, I like to try to get stuff out of the way before there's a, you know, like nothing available in terms of your sizing and stuff like that. And I realize you have to be basically a geography major to understand where the gear is coming from because they cleverly name stuff based on like the weather you would experience somewhere but instead of making it like polar or desert it's like a chugach and uncompafre and i'm like what what, is, what the hell does that even mean <laughs> so i'm like i'm like actually internet searching mountain ranges to, oh that's a cold mountain oh these are hot <laughs> mountains i mean it's ridiculous i can't i like i can't get through the catalog because no one will just name something like cold gear like under armor maybe under, under armors for heathens but i love it it's like cold hot <laughs> it's binary <laughs> That's so funny because whatever happened to like the little the little snowflakes like there's five yeah. snowflakes and you just color them right. in you how just, cold right. it you just goes, cut, right it's right. exactly right like so uh, it's been ridiculous but that's about it that's a good problem to have those are you know if you can shop in some of those catalogs you're doing pretty good anyway so I'm not going to complain too much what about you Nate what's new with you do you feel hold on before you before you get into turkeys do you feel like you need to address your haters again because of the of the <laughs> no listen yeah. I, i'm just glad i have some support over here um <laughs> i'm not the only one and you know you know you, you always know you're not the only one but it's nice to really know you're not the only one so um i do appreciate that um but no the turkeys uh two new things really uh i bought a firearm this week um, I saw as that somebody, somebody, as some of you saw on the Facebook group, um, I, uh, <clears throat> you know that uh, that Benelli money, you know, you can't hide it. You can't so, hide anyway, it. You can't hide it. But I did get the M two twenty gauge, the Marsh color of Travis. Like Travis has the uh, timber, the timber color. So I got the Marsh color because I like the brown a little bit better than the gray. And it's just like it's. I shot it a couple times today, actually. Um, it's sexy, isn't it? It's easy to fall God, in love with that. God, man, I'm telling you, it's like it just felt good. It felt really good. Um, but I did turkey hunt with it, and here's the problem, though. I bought a turkey choke for it, but I bought the Benelli Beretta Mobile instead of the Cryo choke. Yeah, uh, and it's a so cryo I bought the system, wrong. Yeah. It's like a I just brain farted. Anyway, so I don't have a turkey choke. I just hunted with a full choke. Anyway, but we turkey hunted this weekend, Matt. Uh, who's been on the podcast a few Offici times. Official brother was, of the show. Yeah, he was up in town uh, in Atlanta this weekend, so he wanted to turkey hunt a little bit, so we went to a local WMA and actually got on some turkeys this weekend, which I was Whoa. super pumped about. Um, had one within like 60 yards at one point, and he either didn't like the fact that he couldn't see a hen because I didn't have a decoy out, because he gobbled at like 100 yards and we just had to sit down real quick and get ready. 
or he saw us at some point. Not really sure, but Matt kind of saw him like cross a ridge about 60 yards out and disappear. And then this morning, we're this is we're recording this on Sunday, but Sunday morning, we got went back to the same place to try to get on the same bird, but we had four or five different birds gobbling around us this morning. Wow. It was like pretty pretty epic, really. Uh but most of them had hens with them. So Gotcha. And we had some like bad weather coming in at about 9:30, so we couldn't really stay very long, but it was a pretty good weekend. I mean, we didn't kill a bird, but we got dang close and I heard my first gobble in Georgia since I've been here. So that was exciting. That was a that was a success for me. That's not an insignificant amount of hunts that you've been on before you've heard that first gobble in Georgia. Right. Right. Um no, it's super exciting. And I'm glad you talked about turkeys because this week, Thursday, like this is airing on Tuesday. On Thursday, like two days from now, we will be airing the conversation I did with Wild Turkey Doc and Dr. Shortsfer, Brett Collier and Mike Chamberlain. I'm pumped about that one. Yeah, this is going to be Turkey 201. Like it's a it's a good dive into deep turkey. dive. Yeah, and it's I you know we tried we we asked we surveyed our listeners for questions beforehand, so it's a little bit random for an interview. Like we're not crafting a story because you can go listen to Mike on Meat Eater. Or you can go listen to it. He's been on a billion different podcasts right. at this point. So I was like, I don't want to hear the same story. I want to some of the stuff you got to touch on, but I want to hear. I want to ask some different questions. Not that I'm smart enough to ask them, but these are what our listeners wanted to know. And so um, I think you guys are really, really, really going to enjoy that. Um, and did you see Mike? Did you see Mike rocking some uh, Casting Blast gear? Rocking the merch, man. It was I great. I saw that. That was great. With a big old stringer of, of whatever they call them in Georgia. Crappie. <laughs> Crappie. Crappie. Specs. No, no, no. They're specs. <laughs> Uh, before we get into the meat of the topic, I also need to um, talk about something, and I'm going to talk about it more uh, probably on next week's show, but uh, I was, I, you guys probably saw this on social media, but I was privileged enough to be invited to go on a congressional delegation field trip to uh, Big Cypress and Water Conservation Area 3 in the Everglades, and uh, man, I couldn't tell you, I know we had three congressmen I think we had aides or representatives from six or seven more offices, Congress and Senate. We had other elected officials like commissioners and thing, county commissioners. And um, we had a number of people from different agencies, South Florida Water Management District, National Park Service, Department of the Interior, FWC. And then just an army of gladesmen, um, sportsmen, conservationists. And to put this in perspective, uh, Mike Elfenbein, Mike Elf is who you see on Facebook all the time. Mike Elfenbein put this together. And to put this in perspective, Nate, I think the count we had for the live show was 140 people, give or take. Right. So we got 140 people to drive from around the state to come to a brewery in in Winter Haven. And we talked for about 10 minutes about conservation stuff and about 30 minutes about fictional dogs. Right. And we got right. 140 people to drive to this brewery where they could buy beer and, and, and hang out with us and have a good time. Mike got a hundred people to get on, to give up a day of work. This was like a Tuesday. They gave up a day of work and drove into the Everglades on airboats and spent the entire day on airboats and in buggies and at camps. And just the magnitude of what was accomplished by that team and really good productive conversations about, Congressional funding for Florida, congressional appropriations for Florida, for Everglades restoration, sure, but 
for the entirety of the Everglades too. Like there were a lot of productive conversations I was involved in with stuff around that, you know, it's the Everglades to a lot of us aren't just a national park in South Florida. Yeah. I uh, was following along on that. And you guys remember the movie, uh, goodwill hunting by any chance? Yeah. I do. Right. Yep. Check where I'm going here with this real quick. Robin Williams character says to Matt Damon's character about how no matter how much he's going to read about something, he's not going to know what it's going to smell like in the Sistine Chapel. And until you get those people to see it, it doesn't really click. So I thought about that and I've been something I wanted to share, you know, with the group and, and why those types of excursions, field trips, as you will say, are so important to get the message across. So just something that I wanted to kind of put out there because it is important and it's awesome. So uh, kudos to whoever was involved in, with that. And thanks, Travis, for uh, kind of repping the cast and blast crew in 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 our own for us you know going down there and kind of mixing it up with that with that making things happen we appreciate it i will tell you guys something that's a little bit baffling is there's so many people out there and you know the names mike elfenbein nyla pipes uh, um and gordon vega who we've interviewed before these people are kind of all like independent operators but we're all functioning as, as a team but there's no organization that they can point to and say oh, you know, this is the Hunter's Network of Florida that's handling this or whatever. And it's kind of befuddling because people will walk up and say, so who are you with? Well, I'm just <laughs> a guy. And, you know, then they go to the next person like, who are you with? Well, I'm, I'm just a concerned stakeholder in this system. Like, so it's really very cool to see stakeholders behaving in the way that stakeholders should. Such a healthy thing. And I give Mike a lot of credit for this. I give Nyla a lot of credit for this. They are on our team always have been and and we continue to hopefully all of us move the ball down the down the field so very cool thing we'll be talking more about that in coming days and coming weeks and you guys are seeing it on social media but something i was proud to be a part of and an amazing accomplishment that's that's where i'm at today is just an amazing accomplishment so um before we move into the main segment uh really quick i want to tell you guys if you are in florida and you need insurance boat house life car what else can you insure business whatever it is 904-315-5812 you can call or text our good buddy fletcher hallett hallett insurance if you're on instagram you will have noticed that fletcher hallett bought a boat this weekend Ooh! and i'm trying to come up with a good insurance joke for this and i've been working on it like i've been working on other stuff too but this is taking up a good portion of my day trying to write a good joke for it and i haven't <laughs> been able to come up with one so um anyway fletcher has joined the the big boat crowd like the grown-up boat crowd so he's now even more one of us than he was before so congrats nice. to to mr hallett for that but like i said all your insurance needs 904-315-5812 f hallett at hallettends.com we don't have to sing the song because today we will go yes controversy free because at the end of the jingle there's always a yes controversy dan where do you come down on the yes it, I was just gonna. I was gonna take it if the opportunity arise. I was just were gonna. You, were we, you? We, yeah, and interject myself and say, "Hey, I want that. I want the yeah." You, you, you want know to I mean? steal the yeah away from I me. I want to steal the yeah. Almost like a touring drummer that comes in and right. then wants to be on the studio album or something, so he gets credit. Hey, buddy, I'm gonna take this solo. Okay, I'm gonna take <laughs> <Yes>. this. <Yeah. laughs> I'll see if I can drop in Emily singing the song here. It depends on how bad this edit goes. All right, uh, uh, the reason. Yeah. The reason Emily's not here and the three of us have assembled late in the middle of the night on a Sunday night is there's been a lot of overlap between some what we'll call controversial pieces. And we just kind of wanted to talk through them, give you our take, give you some of our thoughts on them. 
I said this in the intro. Usually we try to make this Tuesday show a lot more of what we term as a foyer show. It's the show that you can invite your friends to listen to. It's easily listening. It's fun for newcomers to hunting, recruits to hunting. People are kind of vaguely familiar with outdoor stuff or hunters and fishermen that don't always talk like hunters or fishermen. Today, we're going to do a little bit deeper. It's going to be a lot more insider focused. So um, this is the this is the conversation you have late at night around the campfire. And uh, after a couple of adult beverages have actually worn off and you're getting your your uh, your uh, your goggles back. No, taking your goggles off, maybe. So we're going to be talking about um, really four pieces, although three of them are the crux and really two of them are the main focus. So I'm going to, I'm going to tee these up really quick. One of them is is a piece by Matt Ranella, and this was published on Meat Eater. Matt Ranella is Steve Ranella's brother. So we we may say the Meat Eater piece, we may say the Ranella piece. We're not talking about Steve Ranella, we're talking about Matt Ranella. Um, the title of this piece was The Case Against Hunter Recruitment. The second piece we're going to be talking about was written by Nicole Qualtieri. Um, we'll call her Nicole, Nicole Qualtieri, Gear Junkie. The piece was published on Gear Junkie. Nicole is their outdoors editor. That piece was titled The Hunter Decline Myth. Habitat, not hunting, is at risk. Uh, I, I should also put a disclaimer that we interviewed Nicole last spring around this time. Uh, the other two we're going to be talking about are outdoor life pieces. There's two of them. One of them is just kind of a referral piece. I'm going to call that the stats piece. Um, the title of that piece was, We Actually Have No Idea How Many Hunters There Are in America. And I will say that that title is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> The other piece that Outdoor Life did that we're talking about was a rebuttal to the Meat Eater piece, and it's called Meat Eater Misses the Point in Its Case Against Hunter Recruitment Story. So with that with that kind of baseline set, these are the four pieces that are, that are taking on the landscape. Everyone's got an opinion about them right now, and we just kind of wanted to wade through them. So I think, oh, the other thing we should mention is that I put a definition up there. We may talk about a number of NGOs. BHA is Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. NWTF is National Wild Turkey Federation. RMEF is Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I think those are the uh, Ducks Unlimited, DU. I think those are the only ones I had listed. Trout Unlimited is in one of them. Pheasants Forever, too. Pheasants Forever and Quail Quail Forever. Quail Unlimited, I think. Quail Unlimited, thank you. I can't find it on my board, but I know that I referred to all of those in there. So um, that said, we're going to talk about this. Obviously, keep in mind, Nate is in Georgia, so he's going to have a little bit different perspective. Dan and I are both lifelong Floridians, although Dan has Western hunted and Western hunts every year, Dan. Is that right? For the last, Yeah, keep trying. I mean, it's application season right now, so I don't know where I'm going to be, but hopefully be out there again this year, God willing. And then Travis, me, I'm a Florida-only guy. The only place you will find me shooting something is very generally Florida. Uh, may take a waterfowl trip here or there out of state, but generally speaking, it's Florida-only. So, Dan, you got a spot you want to start this conversation, or you 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 want me to start? How do you how how should we go about this? I, I'm I'm going to start because okay. uh, basically. I saw Matt Ranella's piece floating around the interwebs, and I just immediately wanted to get it up on Cast and Blast Florida, expecting what was to come, okay? Um, this is a contrarian position overall with how we do things in terms of uh, addressing the very real issue about hunting on the landscape 
as as a whole like where are we as hunters on a landscape and to kind of uh, uh maybe somebody who is new to this conversation we should probably explain what the r3 movement is right we we yes, assume please. people know okay so the r3 movement is in essence a uh, uh we'll, we'll get through let's do the acronym first it's it's called recruit retain and reactivate you can mix those up based on what state you are or whatnot but the goal is to try to recruit new hunters retain the ones we have and uh, reactivate the ones who have kind of sunsetted for whatever reason. So that's the construct of it. And the end goal for the most part is we have um, kind of as a collective states-wise lost hunting participation in some way, shape or form. Some states total number of hunters, some states per capita numbers. Some states maybe have had upticks in certain types of hunting, but overall we're losing hunters. And the way we do things in the North American model of conservation, which we, we're not gonna recap that, that's just we got enough legs in the space to not recap that but we're kind of dependent on revenue streams from outdoor sports whether it's Pittman Robertson excuse me Robertson um, uh, uh, license sales things like that to fund our conservation initiatives lots of NGOs in that space too and some federal money coming in from LWCF and other things so that's the thing and and, and for in essence we as state agencies trying to keep hunting on the landscape have recognized that we've had this downward trend. So we've been using R3 to uh, uh, kind of uh, bridge that gap and get more people interested and reactivate and things like that. So that's been kind of our modus operandi, I would say, for the last five, maybe 10 years when you think about it. Cause I've seen, I was in my research, I saw articles going back actually a little further than that, maybe into two early 2000s, mid, mid 2000s for sure. Um, but the kind of, uh, construct we're at now is is this really helping where we're at and whatnot so we all kind of felt like r3 was a good thing and we do still do let, let, let's be on the record it's a good important thing but uh, uh nicole's piece uh i think that was last year sometime no no it uh, was actually two weeks ago three weeks ago it was two weeks ago the, okay. the interview was last year sorry i missed the interview was, was last I, year okay because yeah. that confused me too because i was like i don't think it went yeah. that bad her, okay, her piece so that, was i think three weeks ago Okay, and then uh, Matt's piece. We're kind of the, the first two kind of uh, like in that space groups to push back a little bit on this. So um, Travis and I, have, from talking now for the last couple of years, we've had our conversations about pushback. So I, I was I was very uh, uh, interested in getting this out there and getting the Cast and Blast crew on it. So here's where we're at. Matt's piece, for lack of a better um, uh, uh way to summarize was summarized by one of the uh, 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 critics at basically it comes off as him being a selfish a-hole as you would say in yep. terms of not wanting people in his space get and off my for, lawn get off my lawn right and for all intents and purposes unless you're willing to have an open mind the piece is written like that it, it's pretty much a get off my lawn type of piece um but but what I find interesting is the information and rationale on how he comes to get off my lawn is his own thing. And there are some very valid points in that. So 
I thought it would be interesting to hash that out with like-minded hunters, and that's kind of where we're at. Nicole's piece definitely is a little more technical. I actually liked it better, much better, um, but it hits on some of the uh, almost like uh, economics of hunting as they pertain to uh, opportunity and access, and, and that's, a, that's a real thing that I like to explore or beat around too. So I'm going to give it back to you guys on that, but that kind of like sets the stage of how we're here. So what do you think about that, Nate? No, I, I read I read the, both of those pieces, and you know the first definitely Matt's piece definitely came off as like old codger type guy, like um, like he's an old mountain man, um, begrudging the fact that manifest destiny is happening and people are moving west. <laughs> like that's the way it felt to me, right? Uh, in and like some of his points, I think were valid. I think he does make a few good points in that article but i think as a whole um you know one of the rebuttals from the outdoor life uh article i can't remember which uh author it was but because one of the things matt said was like do you want someone parked at the gate before you and he's his thing was no i don't want someone parked at the gate before me uh well someone's rebuttal on the outdoor life thing said do i really want someone there before me no but am I angry about it? No. And he, and he basically went on to say like, I've had some really great conversations and actually like met some cool people by having some trail quote unquote trailhead diplomacy, which is coined by some of these people. Um, so I think, you know, and then Nicole's piece, you know, obviously we do have a habitat problem in this country, right? I mean, it's, it's a real thing and we should be concerned about that. And you know, my thing, what I want to put out, to the people is why can't we have both like why can't we have hunter recruitment and uh landscape conservation come on right um, come on like why can't why can't like why does it have to be one or the other amen I, and that, that's where that's the way it came off to me with these articles it's like it's either this or this there's no way we can have both but i think i in my mind there's definitely a way we can have both i don't know how I mean, I'm not here to, I'm not here to, I'm not here to do solutions, but I, I think we can definitely have both. Yeah, for sure, Nate. I, I'm right there with you because the, I have this concept in my head. I don't know how to say it better, but there's an issue that happens with kind of like habitat loss and I, I'm calling it the like spatial temporal access to game conundrum that we have, whether or not it's a, uh, that's a terrible name. It's terrible. terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But I just basically I just basically said the things that I tried to jumble up into one piece and it came out like stew instead of a nice uh, smooth thing. But uh, in essence, we have a problem accommodating the hunters that we have into these more traditional kinds of uh, hunts, as you would say. Um, there was a, 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 I believe it was a, the Alex Robinson component of yep. the outdoor life writer who said, I think it's, uh, be, would be useful to have a few more million hunters. Um, and, and I'm like, where are you going to put them? Like that, that's the problem. You okay. Know? Let me, let me jump in here because I'm going to, I'm going to dazzle your mind with some statistics very quickly. Okay. Because I spent the past two hours doing math. <laughs> All right. My man loves data. And I have long contended, long contended to take nothing away from the Montana, Missoula, Bozeman crowd, but that Florida should be looked at as a 
ground zero baseline for conservation conversations due to our population and the contention we have for wildlife resources with other user groups and everything else. So let's say this, I've taken some Florida numbers and I have repeatedly said, so I'm gonna call this the collective of states for this conversation. But if you wanted Florida's population representative in the West, you'd have to combine the populations of Wyoming, Montana, Oregon, Colorado, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Idaho. You would end up with 22 million people if you combine those. Florida has 21 and a half million people. Florida, according to the data Nicole used in her piece, has 220,000 hunters. Okay, so basically 1% of our population hunts. Those other states have 22 million people combined. They have 1.61 million hunters, so roughly 7% of their population hunts. A huge component that is missed out that is, I think, addressed in Nicole's article and, and I think in the Outdoor Life article is the ideal of representation as a stakeholder group. This is a thing that we suffer from on a daily basis. I can go back through the list and you can you can you can show up at any meeting, a spray meeting, a FWC commission meeting, whatever, and there's three hunters in the room and thirty-six anti-bear hunters or forty-two bird watchers or 16 Jeep riders or whatever it is representatively as a group we have to have more hunters in Florida to survive that's not that's not I'm not telling you I think that I'm telling you that's a hundred percent a true statement but what I did is I extrapolated this data out further combined those seven states have 428.5 million acres okay 428.5 million acres, and 37% of it is available to hunt. Meaning they have 159 million acres available, 1.61 million hunters. That's 100 acres per hunter. That's what that's what they have to hunt today. Matt Rinella brings up the point of carrying capacity, which I had a conversation with Nicole about after her piece came out. Which, by the way, I'm just going to say this. I felt like Matt Rinella's piece was a blatant ripoff of Nicole's and a lazier version of Nicole's. But... 98 acres per hunter in those seven states combined. Florida, if you did the same math, you end up with 26 acres per hunter. So now we've got some data that we can work out from. If, if you had the same ratio of land per hunter in those seven states, you would have 6 million hunters instead of 1.61 million. What does that do to conservation funding? What does that do to hunter representation on the landscape? Like, Get the hell out of here with this, we've got too many hunters. Dude, that's not even a real conversation. I can't believe that piece got published. That's how far-fetched it was. Conversely, conversely, to put Florida hunters on the same scale, 98, 98 acres per hunter, we would have to reduce our hunting footprint from 220,000 to 60,000. We would have to cut our hunter population to a third of what it is. And you guys are telling me, not you guys, but these, this, this is telling me, this world out here, Conservation Montana is telling me that this is a better solution. Dude, do not come at me with this noise. That is amateur hour. And I, there's your data. There's your data critically looked at beyond the simplistic thing. One of you take this and then the other can respond. But I, I'm out. I'm done. Travis out. I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give a little pushback here, all right? Because you're not wrong. We we've, we've talked about this. 
but we got to take Florida. Really, let's do it this way, just for, just to beat it around. East of the Mississippi or west of the Mississippi? The is there it's it's similar and different. The ratios and the data are undeniable. The densities and things like that. I guess what I'm trying to do is give a little more empathy to Matt than most because he's experiencing what we experience now. And I'm going to go back to the outdoor life piece. Okay, the uh, gentleman uh, that was the older person. Please help me out here. Who had Get the uh, Jerry Beth G. Beth, yes, Beth Jerry Betchy. He was coming from the north, and he, he yep, basically was, a, yeah. And he was explaining the uh, culture almost that was lost with the eastern hunting, which was the camp culture. The the They were cooking hearts and livers when he got done, and, and that part of it was, was leaving, okay? Now, I'm going to say, I don't know Matt personally, but I, I would kind of like lump him in more to that category. So I think this guy is really just dealing with that reality that you and I have discussed, that we have discussed here about this kind of uh, existential pressure from other hunters and that this is, might be going away. Um, so he's scared. You know what I'm saying? Like he, he's, he's in panic mode, and I think that's where it comes from. So I, I, I don't, I'm not defending the way to look at it because it's a real issue, and it's different here. But collectively east of the mississippi west of the mississippi we need to start this is where i'm tying it into we need to start thinking about what is the metric of success is it the experience is it the number is it the game harvested is it the amount of hunters as a just a a, a unit of data set i mean i can't think it's that simple as if we just have more hunters our problems go away before you weigh in nate i want to rebut that and say I would be fine with that if he didn't pull North Carolina into his data. I would be fine with that if it wasn't Meat Eater as the platform. And when we get done, we're going to get into McLuhan and, and the media is the message. The medium is the message. We're going to get into some of that. But I would be fine with that if Meat Eater had disclaimed it at the beginning. But Fair. Meat Fair. Eater as a platform has a responsibility. And I think it's a well-deserved and well-earned responsibility to be a voice for conservation and hunting. Nate, Nate sang their praises last week and I completely agreed with them that without them on the landscape, we don't have a lot of what we have. Like that, I think that's undeniable. There was a so, breakthrough from that type of uh, looking correct. at it or that type of, yes. So, so with that responsibility though, or with, yeah, with that mantle comes a heavier responsibility in the, the, what you produce. And, and I think you will see that I'm being a little more forgiving. Nicole has some problematic data in hers as well. And I'm not going to drill into those numbers again because I could bore you guys to death with numbers. But like we picked arbitrary start and stop dates on data and there was a peak in the middle. Why, If we'd have picked any other year, you could show a decline that ran off her whole argument. My problem is really more of I'm fine with that mentality and I'm fine if that's what he's trying to say. And I'm even fine with you taking that position on it. Obviously I'm fine with all of it. You don't have my permission, but the, the, the problem I have is meat eater as a, as an entity putting that out there and me, Travis as a Florida guy, Nate, as a Georgia guy, us now having to work against the Matt Ranella voice with the Ranella name attached to it and the meat eater stamp on it this thing that we now have to work against that we shouldn't have to work against because he has no idea what he's talking about. When you talk about the general Eastern ecological system, Florida's ecological system, North Carolina, he pulled into the conversation involuntarily. 
I'm fine if he wants to write an article about Montana. Fine if he wants to write an article about Idaho or Alaska, wherever he hunts. When he got into that is where he really lost me. And it, 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 it I'm going to say it wasn't borderline irresponsible. It was frustratingly irresponsible to me. Yeah, real quick. I wish he would have tapped in a bit to his Michigan roots. That would have helped. Get, he, But he has kind of sailed from that, and it does make it hard because – Travis Thompson, Nate Henderson, and some other guys out there kind of know that. But yes, I, I, the the responsibility thing of not tapping into that or at least addressing it made made it much more difficult to swallow for sure. No, I I agree. I I like what um, Dan's I, Dan. I like what you said about what is the in game metric that we're looking at here with this, because you know we can tout more hunters, more hunters, more hunters, but until we start and you know we we all know what more hunters can do for funding and different things like that but i think it was in nicole's article she shared some and maybe it was matt's but they shared like like conservation funding throughout the years from in like with hunter numbers kind of running along and like it or not things are just more expensive today so licenses are more expensive guns and ammo is more expensive so our taxes are higher the excise tax is providing more money like more conservation funding, but it's also more expensive to run, right? So conservation funding is higher now. Like we've gotten more money in the system now than we've ever had, like as a per year type basis. So, but now the question is, what does that money really realistically do for the hunters? Right. Like that, like where does, so this is where the habitat loss comes in for me, right? So we're not creating more huntable land. Like it's just not like, if it's concrete, it's concrete. It's not going back, right? So where does that money, how does that money help the hunter? If we're going to get all these million new hunters, whatever numbers we're looking at, where does that money go to help place all these new hunters on the landscape? Like where does this money go to more state managed WMAs, especially in the East, more national forest lands uh, throughout the whole country for these people to hunt like and i like I, I totally understand that conservation is expensive and it takes a lot of resources just to keep the status quo i get all that but like at some point if we do get all these new hunters that money's got to go somewhere to help distribute the new hunters on the landscape and i think that's something that as like an r3 if we're talking about r3 something with r3 we got to think about uh, agreed, 100%. I got a quick, funny anecdote, just fortuitous that it came up in conversation today. My father-in-law's over here, and he's talking. And uh, basically, <clears throat> I mean, this is just so Florida, it's it, it hurts. So uh, it'll give some comic relief as well. But uh, they play pickleball. Have you ever heard of what pickleball is? I, I it's like it's it. like amateur tennis. Type it's like stuff. amateur tennis. I've never even heard of it before. He plays pick, pickleball, okay? And he's in a retirement community. I mean, this is just, it's like screams Florida. And... Uh, he tries. Listen to this. I mean, this is, is he at Boca Vista North with, yeah, with Seinfeld's it, it, it dad. Might, it might as well be. <laughs> so, the uh, he, he, with his big heart and desire to kind of get more pickleball teams going, he decides to teach pickleball to the new people that are coming into the um, you know community. Okay, I, I, I swear to you, the conversation went to 
now we don't have enough courts and the people that used to play pickleball are upset because we're waiting so long to play pickleball now they don't want to play pickleball anymore because it's getting hot and they have to wait for the courts to play pickleball i mean come on you know what i'm saying if if when are we going to offer more pickleball courts you know what i'm saying with the gear meaning the game to do that it's a tricky tricky thing i'm not saying i have the answer but we have to start thinking along the lines of how we're going to get these pickleball players whatever you activity it is to have a more positive experience because it is tricky for the ones who were on the landscape before and that's an issue with matt ranella and some of the guys that i know i mean i'm in my mid-40s now and i've been doing it for 30 years i have a cohort of friends who don't hunt nearly as often now or will go every other year in in purchasing a license because they have they have competing things they have families and whatnot and it wasn't a spontaneous easy opportunity and access to game that they experienced growing up in central florida as a younger guy so it's a real thing you know you don't want to be the bitter old man but that doesn't mean it's not real what they're experiencing no it's a hundred percent real and we've talked about this in florida terms before with things like spray plants if duck hunters are represented small on a lake and the spray plan takes those duck hunters into account and there's seven duck hunters at the meeting and there's 300 duck hunters that use the lake regularly you've now created a system wherein you're confining those 300 duck hunters to an available resource that's very limited even though you have thousands and thousands of acres of lake you may not have the vegetation that holds the birds i believe nate started this off in the exact right spot when he talked about why does it have to be either or. And I feel like when you hold the two main pieces up, this is why I like Nicole so much better. Because Nicole doesn't dog on R3. She does talk about the fact that she believes we're fear-mongering with R3 a little bit. Mm. And I Mm. think that's true, but I think that's something you could pick a topic just about and pick an NGO just about and and say, well, they're fear-mongering. I don't think you know that really like that's it's a little bit of a hard sell for me, right? Like was was BHA fearmongering with William Penley a couple years ago when he was Trump's BLM director? I don't know. I didn't think he was doing that bad of a job, but I definitely see where the issue with his nomination was coming from. Is Yeah, yeah, the fearmongering I think is uh she's she's completely 100% valid. She's I think she's coming from it with the she she's an insider look on marketing and how fear is just like a powerful tool for marketing and revenue stream. However, I feel like it didn't take a marketing program to get me to be petrified about us losing hunting in the next two decades. I think it's still real, even though it's uh, maybe pitched as uh, fear-mongering. Um, the fear-mongering component, I think, is definitely uh, poignant towards g- generating revenue and well, look at our cause and stuff like that. Doesn't mean it's completely invalid. Doesn't right. mean it's completely invalid, you know? So, well, it, yeah. And then you, you get into... The other thing I like that Nicole did not do is she did not necessarily demonize R3. I think I just said that, but she didn't necessarily demonize it. She even says she's an adult onset hunter. She's been hunting it, you know, seven years, and I'm going to guess she's in her mid-30s. So there's a, there's a, I liked that piece better because what it's really calling for is a thing that is closer to an either or, or a, or a both and, like Nate was talking about, wherein if we could increase our habitat, we can increase the footprint whatever that average acre is per hunter number and see an upswing in that. I'm going to tell you guys the thing we're missing in this whole conversation though. 
And that is, I called it the Outdoor Life Stats article. And I don't know if either of you had time to read it, but I'm really summing this up when I say, first, there's a lag in U.S. Fish and Wildlife data. Like, we've known about this for years. In fact, Nate, do you remember a million years ago, I wrote for Gun and Hook that was an outfitter? Do you remember me writing for them yes. a million years ago? Like I got, yes. I got paid per piece to write for this outfitter out of Texas. And it was an online thing, and they, they just wanted content generated. And I did a big in-depth dive trying to find out how many hunters there were and, and get into some of this stuff. And I wrote an article that talked about how the fact that we don't really know. Guess what? We don't really know how many hunters there are in the country, which is the most crazy-ass thing I've ever thought of. And secondly, why hasn't someone been fired over that? Like, like seriously, <laughs> like how do all these states are roaming around and they can't click a button on a dashboard? Any other job in the world? I don't care. Any other job in the world. Dan, you work in the medical field. I guarantee you someone can click a report and tell you the names of all your patients and what their phone numbers are and their email address and their last appointment. Nate, you work in, in IT in the healthcare world. I guarantee you you've got a, a list somewhere of all your all your, your uh, customers inside the company. And I'm going to guarantee you somewhere else in the company, there's a list of all the people outside the company. Emily has, like, I have a list of every person that's ever put their email address on a cast and blast thing or bought a t-shirt or signed up for Patreon or anything else. How in the holy hell do funded government agencies not have this list with normalized data in it so that you could pull a report and have a freaking red, green, yellow dashboard so you can look and say, oh shit, we're in the yellow. We probably should push hunting again. Like, how is that not a thing? I cannot say I know how or why it's not a thing, but I do have a possible solution for it. Not solution, but uh, intervention if you're ready for it. Um, just I've applied now for a license application or purchased the license in Virginia, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, New Mexico, Colorado within the last few years. Every system is different. Why is there not at least some reciprocity or sharing of the systems? Understanding that budgeting-wise for those systems, it would be very difficult to do. But at least if there was some more overlap or else some more sharing between these states, especially states that are in blocks, let's say, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, something like that, I think that would help. That's just something that I thought of, and maybe there are some talking about it. So how do you feel about that, Nate, being that you're in Georgia and you've, you're kind of now uh, uh, you know, entrenched in that system there? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think the block, at least the block states, would be great thing for them to work together on either have the same type of system. And I think Georgia and Florida actually do have the same system. It's the go outdoors.com, whatever system. Um, so that's been helpful. And Georgia's app is a lot like Florida's feels the same way and everything. So I feel like that's, that's a good thing. But, but back to like Travis's point, there should be like, I think Amazon could probably click a button and tell you every single prime subscriber, every single one, like, Right now, like it just wouldn't even be a th so, but and so licenses are such a, um, like it's a tangible thing that people have. Like you go to a store or you go online and you purchase this item, and it should just, it shouldn't be that hard. I mean, it just should not be that hard to generate a report that oh Dan has bought a license the last thirty years in Florida, 
and here's all of his licenses and here's what he bought this year and this is what he did this year i mean it just shouldn't be it can't be that hard but you know the way the world works is a lot of times government funded agencies are a little clunky and are a little uh slow and um you know i don't want to dog on too hard cuz i do love georgia's dnr like fwc too but it just comes with the territory government's clunky um but i do agree there has to be a way for any state at any time to pull any data that they can without a whole lot of issue but they're like the the, the disparity for like the 2016 numbers that somebody brought up was like 9 million to 13 million it was like a, it would that's you know it's like two and a half million of a disparity it's like unbelievable it can't be – I'm saying if they're keeping track of it in an Excel spreadsheet, FWC – let me just say this. FWC, if you are doing this in an Excel spreadsheet, hit me up. I can fix this for you. Like I can, I can write some <laughs> macros for that spreadsheet to make this go away. It ain't rocket science. As, as a guy with a, a, a data background, but come on, man. This is like – it doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it. And I think we're using it as a crutch. And I think we we are sitting here talking about these two things, these two articles that are written premised off really bad data. And right. there's not an organization or company in the world where you can get good data out of bad data. And that's a that's a thing I don't expect Nicole or or Matt to like have a background in. They didn't work in, in data, but I'm saying there's no way you can take good data and or bad data and make it into good data. So we have to we have to do better at that. That's a good point, Nate. The agencies aren't that well funded, but geez, man, you could streamline some of this stuff with some kind of a CRM system and be like Carrie Bible, Two Fish Creative could get in here and like <laughs> rock their world. Am I am I wrong or am I wrong? So um, we've been we've been at this for a while. What? What have we left on the table that we haven't discussed that we should have discussed about these pieces and kind of where we're at on this conversation? Dan, I'll let you go first. Nate, you can pick up and then. I'd like to contemporize R3 a bit. I I would. Um, You know, so actionable plan to me is we tend to do the recruit part pretty good. I don't know if we're doing the retain part that good. I think we're doing the reactivation part extremely poorly in my mind. Uh, old dudes that time out don't seem to come back. I mean, it just seems to be the case. So I think we're giving lip service to a couple of the things. And I really feel, and this is something might be contentious, that the um, recruitment component is uh, sometimes comes with a bigger cultural thing than we want to. We think we're just going to expose people to hunting and they're going to love it because we love it. And I think there's some harder uh, issues there to discuss that we need to talk about. The, the thing I'd like to jump in real quick and say is I think you, me, and Nate have all at different times said R3 sucks. Talking about our state programs or even NGO programs or whatever. I think we have to separate R3 programs from the ideal of R3. 100%. So, 100%. so the, the concept of recruiting new hunters, reactivating disengaged hunters and retaining current hunters is a important and valid concept. I do not. I think if you 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 think that's wrong, you're, you're, you're you're in the wrong spot. Right. Yeah. 
I think the ways we've laid those out have gotten complex. I think we've gotten wrapped around the axle. I think we've lost our way. And I don't think we are focusing on the right things. And, Nate, before I give this to you, I'm going to say I'm gonna say one controversial thing and something else. <laughs> the, the controversial thing I'm going to say is, at the end of Matt's piece, Matt Rinella's piece, he talked about what we need is to do what we've always done to recruit people into the sport. And I think about what the future of hunting looks like. And you guys know that I'm the most woke as, as you'll find in this conversation. <laughs> We've got to change what hunters look like, physically look like. We yeah. have to be open to to women in the woods. We have to be open to minorities. We have to be open to uh, disabled and opportunities that we can provide for them. Like hunting has to be available to more people than it is available to now. Matt Rinella's piece was so tone deaf in that because if we continue to do it the way we've always done it, in 20 years, hunting is going to look like a bunch of white males and it's going to be a lot less of them than it is now. And I, I have a serious, serious issue with that concept. And I'm not, I, you guys know me, I'm, I'm kind of half tongue-in-cheek joking, but I am say when I say, talk about being the wokest, but in fact, we do have to be open to diversifying what hunting looks like, and we have to be willing and, and eager to work to move that needle so that we're not excluding groups from, from hunting. Doing what we've always done is going to get us what we've always gotten. No, that's a, that's a great point. I was going to make that point because I did read that part of his, his article, and I just kind of shook my head a little bit, like, because he talked about, like, grandfathers and fathers getting kids in the woods. I mean, he's like, that's the way we've always done it. We should do it. But there's not a lot of fathers these days hunting. Like, you know, so who's going to take, you know, that kid or whatever, but totally agree that if we keep going the way that goes, then hunting dies. What I was going to say is we, I want to bring it back to like, you know, why can't we have both? So we have to, and I think, and I think like you said, R3 is, a good thing it just it's like kind of lost its way a little bit with the marketing and the kind of the parameters we put around it hunting is such a tough sport to just get into it's so hard to just go pick up a gun and walk into the woods and do something because there's so much nuance and so much information that you need to learn so R3 needs a better mentorship program, long-term, like a long-term type mentorship. Because we can talk about till we're blue in the face about how, oh, you should hunt and you should get your own food and blah, 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 all the stuff. But if someone's not there to like walk someone through that, like step-by-step, step, people don't stick around. They don't, I mean, they'll go to a workshop and they'll learn about it and they'll be like, okay, now what? And someone needs to come beside them and wrap their arm around their shoulders like here come with me let me let me walk you through this and we need more people to be willing to do that for anybody that comes across yeah i uh i'm gonna hit you with one real quick because i'm glad you really i, I i'm a big big supporter of the concept of r3 but here it goes 88 percent of the fortune 500 companies that existed in 1955 are gone I mean, let that one sink in. I don't want to be Xerox or Kodak or Blockbuster. 
as a hunter, right? Mm. So I'm willing to do anything to keep it around. Ironically, Dan, that's three years from the first set of data that Nicole pulled for her article. Uh, was even better, even so. better. Yeah, even better. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's because we care and we think it's important that we're doing this, right? That this is why we're doing this. So I just wanted to leave it at that. We don't want to be a statistic. You know, we, we want to be there. We want to be there for years to come. And I think it is okay to call out dads in general, but not as the sole way to get people into hunting. Let's call out moms and let's call out dads about, dude, go outside, give, give up the Xboxes a little bit. We, it's just not good for your brains, the, the children's brains. We have real medical data sets that show that that's not a good thing. And we have real positive, good medical data sets that show getting in the outdoors for the young kids and the elderly is a good thing. So let's keep working towards that stuff. The thing, we okay, we're coming up on an hour, so I think we should put a bow on this. The thing I want to talk briefly about is a, is a concept. We're going to use these pieces as kind of an example of it, but it's a thing that Dan sent me, I don't know how long ago, a year or so ago. Um, Dan sent me a podcast from Eric Weinstein talking about um, this thing, the, the, the idea of the medium is the message, which was, it's a rule in, he, he talks about Say's Law of Economics, Jean-Baptiste Say's Law, which is you have to create something to be able to sell something. So to in order to buy something, you have to have created something. And then he applies it and he, and he flips it against Marshall McLuhan's Law, the medium and the best is the message. And then he talks about the idea of the media is the message. The headline is the, the, headline is the article, I think is what he says, because it's been a while since I listened to that. And as these pieces kind of ripped through the internet last week, I was really struck by this concept because I, do you remember the number, Dan? I think it's 15% of people click the article. Is that right? One at one in. F- yeah, it's very low. <laughs> it's very low. 15% of people click a headline and read the actual article. They share the article and that's the message. Yeah. And some, some even lesser percentage get to the end of it. Like it's like, it's, it's crazy, but yeah, I'm following you exactly where you're going with that. It's a, it's a thing. One, one of the things we have discussed a lot and Nate and I have discussed this for coming on four years now off and on Dan and I have discussed this a lot is the idea of critical thinking in this space like like being able to read things like this critically examine them you may not agree with all of them uh what do you agree with what do you disagree with why are you giving credence are you giving are you giving a fair shake to the to the pieces and 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 really examining them and twisting them and turning them because that's really how we move forward and how we get better at what we're trying to do the headline is the story is problematic for me because of the delivery method of these. And I kind of walked through this in a, in a Facebook thread with Dan the other night. It's problematic with these because you have a responsibility to realize the medium you're sharing this on. This isn't a podcast where Matt Ranella was allowed to talk for an hour and a half about his, his piece and kind of explain it in great detail. Nicole wasn't given that kind of forum to, to explain her piece. They weren't allowed to rebut and, and kind of go back and forth on it. So we really have to be careful as a community with how we address the headline is the story, the medium as the message, and really begin to take stock in kind of how we're receiving some of these messages, how we're delivering some of these messages, how we're sharing some of these messages and the context we're putting these messages in because that responsibility lies with each of us as a user and a stakeholder. It also lies with the author that's writing the piece that's being shared. It a hundred percent does. It, it, it lies with the platform. It lies with gear junkie. It lies with, with 
with meat eater. But at the same time, we all have to raise our game as critical thinkers in this. That's, that's really, I mean, Dan, you, you've had more time on that than I have. What do you have any thoughts on that or? Well, just, you know, for me personally, I um, love the community that has set up on social for Cast and Blast Florida. 90% of the time I use it to get in there and cut up about the fun stuff that we do. The, uh, you know, is it really a sandwich? Hot dogs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's, and really, honestly, that's where I think, I'm sorry to say it, that's where Facebook should be. <laughs> I mean, it should be about that. Facebook was beloved in its infancy because it was a way to connect with people in a positive way. And when we start beating this stuff up, I would much rather do it here. And that's why I'm here tonight, because this is where I want to spend my time talking about things, getting some counterpoint, love to bring in other things. And I love to listen to other podcasts. I mean, it's 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 uh, uh, I mean, it can be a time suck. There's no doubt about it. So much good content is out there, but it's really good content because you can have conversations. So I'm right there with you, Travis, and I hope we have more opportunity to do stuff like this. So, I mean, where do you feel on that, Nate? Because, I mean, I'm bloviating here. No, I, I I totally agree with the whole media is the message idea and like the headline is the message, right? Because I mean, a lot of what content people consume is Facebook headlines and Facebook, you know, one-liners, and especially in the political climate we're in, it's it's rampant. And I agree that you know we as a hunting community should do be very mindful of that because that's. Once you once you uh, once you start to get into this divisive type of headline, like back and forth, I mean, that's just where that's where we're at as a you know politically as a country, and no one wants to be there. I don't, especially. Yeah, I'm gonna brown nose a bit for for M, who's not here, Nate and and Travis. You set up a community that is bridging those gaps. Um, because they're going beyond the headline. And that's what I, my call to action is to for, for your group, the, the, you know, the Cast and Blast Florida group or whoever's listening to this. Let, let's take it one step farther. Let's go, let's read that article and maybe go somewhere else with it. So that's my call to action for anybody who's listening to this is to be more than uh, uh, what McLuhan's Law is saying. Let's, let's be the people that break through that, uh, that limiting, rate-limiting step. And I think, I think to Nate's point, like what he was saying, though, as far as the divisiveness, I think that's an important component to this. When you take when you take McLuhan's law and you apply it to these pieces, when you look at a piece published on Meat Eater, there's not a besmirchment of, of Nicole at all. I don't know what Gear Junkie's reach is, but it's not the same in the hunting world as Meat Eater's reach. Does that make sense? So, so the medium is the message matters a deal, a great deal compared to the platform that it exists on a piece shared on cast and blast. We take very serious responsibility because you know us and you know how we, we try to treat all of this stuff. We probably share less than we should, but at the same time, it's not going to get the same run that it gets on either of those other platforms. Right? So there could be a, a more cavalier take on that sort of thing. And, what I'm looking, what I'm struggling with is from a leadership perspective in the outdoor world, the outdoor community, we have to be better at the content that we're putting out and be responsible with the medium that we have jurisdiction and stewardship over. Just like we care about conservation, just like we care about this dirt, just like we care about this water, just like we care about those fish and those, and those trees and those animals. 
we should also care about the community that we are charged with and the content that we provide to that community and how that is handled. Nate, you can wrap this up. Great conversation. Um, really, it's been a, it's kind of been fun really to kind of see different people's takes and read points and counterpoints. And, um, you know, and I, I, I hope we can continue this in a, you know, very civil, great manner like we have been for the last week because our community is really great at that. And I want to applaud especially the Facebook group for being cool. Like it's just, everybody's kind of there to learn and kind of just take things in stride. And I really do appreciate it. It's not a, it's not a uh, bash fest, which I, you know, which I'm tired of on social media. And so it's a very nice reprieve to actually see some, a little bit of critical thinking and reading past the headlines. So I appreciate everybody for doing that. Keep doing that. And um, most of all, stay woke. Thanks for listening to Cast and Blast Florida podcast, serious outdoorsmen who don't take themselves too seriously. As always, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can figure out how to do that. You can check out our store at castandblastfl.com, click the shop link, or you can join us on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. The very best thing you can do for us, though, is to invite someone else to listen to the show. Recruit us a new listener. We hope everyone has a great day and enjoy the dulcet tones of Trail Diver as they take you into your week. <laughs>